Welcome to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome back to another episode. We are on episode 141, season three, and this is Reworking Family Engagement. Uh, I've been coming across articles and things I've been reading on family engagement and how some of that has changed uh, with the pandemic and as we get back to things, uh, how we can maybe change that at a time when we may need to change that. And uh, the tr traditional events, of course, I always had meet the teachers and open house and conferences and family nights and curriculum nights and uh, various nights like that. Uh, some of them were just for fun and some of them were to share academics and then some of them were share to share strategies on helping um, students and helping their children. And they all had that common thread of trying to get people to school and they were based on our attempt to build engage, uh, build relationships and engage families. Uh, but sometimes that can be kind of one-sided and that is uh, I'm looking at an article now from Educational Leadership, September 2022, volume 80, number one. A recent article and it's co-constructing family engagement by Jamila Dugan and she says educators need to get past school centric activities and take steps to create more gener generative uh, relationships with families um, and she starts with starts out with educators if educators wish uh, all educators wish to create strong relationships with the families we serve but many do not realize that some sort of common practices we use to build those relationships actually can get in the way of a true partnership. Consider the most common activities, and those are back-to-school nights and some of the things that I just read earlier. Uh, and she says these activities can be beneficial, but they can also reveal structural problems in our approach, as well as relational blind spots. These issues can manifest in conflicts that often remain beneath the surface. Engagement during conventional family engagement meetings is often unidirectional, tightly controlled, and aimed at short-term impact. Such offerings are school-centric in nature and implicit, implicitly, and in some cases explicitly, communicate that the school always knows best. Um, and that was based on uh, Khalifa 2018. Um, after back-to-school night, families don't often get the opportunity to actually speak with teachers again for a while. And that's true. And then she goes on talking about the importance of building trust. Uh, it says, but with a few shifts in perspective and intention, family-teacher relationships can blossom and make a huge difference in a student's learning. Teachers must get beyond the one-way communication activities relied on for so long and develop trust and mutual respect with the families we serve. And part of that, I think, is getting to know your demographics and getting to know your community and the culture around your school and the different cultures within your school. Uh, that was always extremely important to me as a leader and as a principal and, and for staff uh, getting to know all about your, your community and your demographics because it helps you to relate better and it helps to bring uh, some of those things in and helps to build those relationships. And then she goes into some um, some of the problems that kind of undermine things at different times. Uh, she cites some research that black students are less likely to be recommended for gifted and talented programming unless their teachers are black, and that was uh, based on Barche in 2016 and, and Drillinger in 2020. 
and then talks about indigenous indigenous students have historically had the culture stripped away from them in residential schools and even today less than 50 percent of states require integration of indigenous history in curriculum and that was from the national congress of american indians uh 2019. so these uh results of equity uh can often marginalize our families and these can be things that kind of undermine some of the relationships uh for it looking like the school has the best intentions with working with all students when the parents may see that there isn't that much equity and there isn't always uh, the same expectations with all students and giving them the same opportunities. And I've talked about that before on my show, of course, and the importance of giving all students uh, opportunities in different areas and not just based on test scores as well. And uh, I even talked about the focus school and how much our kids improved and uh, students that were low achievers originally, when we got them into some high expectation uh, STEM activities and coding and different things that increased their math ability and robotics and things that actually gave them a chance to show some of their high science skills. And I've told you that before, how much we raised our science scores and these were across the board with all students and not just those students that would traditionally uh, be in the high scoring areas, it was all students and that is what we need to really uh, push and parents need to realize that that is what we're actually doing and hopefully as a school you are doing that. Uh, in this article they also talk about establishing goodwill. Many relationships between teachers and caregivers were already strained before the pandemic as a result of various stressors from the past two years on both families and educators. Anxiety about working together now is likely even higher. Families want to know educators intentions for their child they can't read a teacher's mind, and in some cases, it is plausible that the minoritized, minoritized uh, families will assume educators' intentions involve low expectations for their children and a readiness to dismiss their humanity and potential. Teachers, on the other, have, uh, other hand, often feel overwhelmed with how to create partnerships with families. They often are expected to do it at their own time or feel that they have to go beyond the scope of their working hours to create relationships and aren't given enough guidance or support to do so. And yet for our families to feel different, they must see educators act differently. Educators must make it clear to families that it is their duty to be, be the first to establish goodwill. Uh, but such interactions do not have to always be large, time-consuming steps. Small yet meaningful actions to establish goodwill can create new expectations and begin to establish trust. Reach out to all your families early in the year with a quick phone call or video call to establish a relationship. If some of the families speak a different language than you, you can use, it can be trickier, but you can use a translator uh, and other ways of written communication. Uh, and then she, they go on to talk about um, developing meaningful questions and working together. And one of the things I did early on as a teacher was that exact thing. I reached out to uh, families and wrote a letter and introduced myself and contacted them and said, I'm so excited to have so-and-so in my class and all these things about uh, high expectations but really in a good way and wanting the best for their child and uh, letting them know that it was the same and I did this with all of them and it did take some time but that time was valuable and gave me a first response even before a meet the teachers type thing or even an open house that relationships were already starting to develop and they were already seeing uh, that I wanted the best for their children and that helped to start developing trust 
And as a principal, I would try to make uh, contacts early on, especially with the students I was working with uh, frequently. And on a new year, I would do that as well because I kept uh, relationships with those parents to make it easier to work with those parents and to work with uh, some of our SPED students and some of our high-need students and some of our students that we are creating more action plans for and getting them to be a part of those action plans. Um, and then they talk about the importance of making these connections throughout the year and not just waiting for different events that happened uh, in contacts. And they talk about going deeper too in your uh, questions about working together and not uh, being so one-sided when you're working with uh, parents at a, a conference type situation. Um, and then another thing she states, I'm going to jump into this article again. It says, we often partner with families by having them fill out surveys about the strengths and weaknesses of their child and hope to use this information to know how to best serve them. After the first few weeks of school, however, the surveys often get placed in a filing cabinet and getting to know students more deeply is sidelined for the serious stuff, uh, academic content, and in the event that a child does not get on board, for example, misses an assignment or misbehaves, we quickly move to negative phone calls, which begins the cycle of relational challenges highlighted earlier. Uh, and that's what they were talking about at the beginning of this article, of course. Um, uh, later on, she talks about the uh, for a true partner, family partnership to develop these interactions need to go deeper. Uh, the spirit should move from sharing progress or lack thereof to co-constructing meaning. The teacher might share goals at first, but also give caregivers an example or ample time and space to share their goals and concerns. Together, they should look at student work, identify where they see progress and goals met, and discuss how they can work together to build on what's been accomplished. By the end of the conference, conference, both parties should have a leave with concrete actions. The teacher might say, oh, increase positive interactions with three affirmations to every one redirect. And the parent might say, I will preview the schedule for the day at home and encourage her effort at writing time. Um, and realistically, um, working in the high poverty building I was in and working with uh, difficult students and families that had concerns or questions about parents, it takes a while to build trust with those families and to prove that them, to them that you want the best for their child. And they are coming from usually a base of not having uh, good experiences with the school themselves as a child. So that kind of reflects into their interactions with the school. And that can also make it more tense uh, to work with them. And uh, those are things that need to be considered as you're developing uh, relationships and the conferences, of course, you need to do some things to try and bring the parents in so it's not so one-sided on the side of the school. Um, ask the parents how you can help them at home and what are some things that you, they're working on with their kids at home that you could help reinforce at school and so on. And make it more of a collaborative conversation. And I think if you get more collaborative in the dialogue and uh, the ways that you can assist uh, their children or their child, uh, it's going to be more constructive and they're going to be uh, more appreciative of the honest uh, feedback and that trust and and the ability to plan for their students and to see that you still want their students to do as well as any student within that school. Um, and she goes on in this article too talking about uh, sharing with grade levels and uh, they created a menu of activities uh, that families could participate in 
and embedded these activities into a calendar. So there was a specific, specific day, for example, when families could come to the classroom to share family stories, another day when they could bring in books to read with the students, and other opportunities for them to chaperone field trips or volunteer in the classroom. And I think that's important. I, I had some teachers really good at this, and they would bring in people volunteering. And we had a lot of activities that brought people to the school, and the school became the home base for the community, uh, including doing GED classes. And I've talked about this before, but doing language classes. And uh, our, our family room actually got to where it was so popular that they brought food and were there almost all day as they were taught language classes uh, by our, one of our family liaisons. And uh, they also got help on how to work with their children and to work on academics at home and all kinds of uh, needs were met. And there were all kinds of, uh, of other programs that we used to bring people in and to bring families in and to connect them to the school as we became the base for activities as well. And these, uh, one of the things that one of my teachers did too, they did the King and Queen of the Jungle, simple as that. And each week there was a different, or a month I think they did it, there was a different king and queen of the jungle. It might have been weekly. Uh, and uh, they got to bring their family in and talk about their family and tell the things about their family and things about their culture and things about their family history and things they like to do. Almost like a show-and-tell type thing, but they were the important person that day. And that was extremely neat the way she did it because then she did photographs and put it up on a board and... Uh, everybody had a chance to do it too. So it was something that uh, was done with everyone and the families saw this as a, a great connection to school. And I can tell you she had good relationships with her parents and families and it showed. Um, they also talk in this article the power of admitting uh, if you don't know something. And, um, and then they talked about a school leader who was... Uh, worked with families and worked on IEPs and um, let me read a piece of it because I think it's pretty strong. Um, whose students had individual IEP plans to identify proactive ways to nurture positive student educator relationships and ways to re redirect relationships were becoming negative. Uh, I met with a group of families and shared my ideas and a potential plan. I asked what is missing from the plan. What did we not think of? Are there places we could intentionally harm students with specific needs? I was transparent that I wouldn't move forward without getting to place, without getting to a place we felt good about as a collective. The families were extremely grateful to be heard and to see the policy enhanced in real time as a result of their thoughts. When they pointed out that the plan did not make room for differentiation, we brainstormed on how it could. It was scary to be this vulnerable, but this is how we move from. Uh, seeking input to sharing power um, reminds me of Ber Brene Brown. The importance of being vulnerable, doesn't it? Um, and then they they kind of end this article with the pandemic continues to present many unanswered questions for schools. So providing families an opportunity to co-construct possible answers brings authentic partnerships in the pursuit of a shared goal: student wellness and success and positive experiences. So I would say to you, look for ways to bring your parents in to involve your parents, to connect to your parents, to develop those relationships, to make uh, ongoing contacts beyond what we normally do in a school year. And they had some good reflection questions I want to share with you too. It says, how can you restructure events like back to school night to be more of a two-way conversation with families? And what good intentions do you and your school have about getting to know students and families better? 
can these interactions be given greater priority or restructuring? And if you'd like to read the full article, remember that's in uh, Educational Leadership, ASCD, uh, September 2022, and Volume 80, Number 1. And I'd like to share one more thing from uh, John Maxwell tonight. And understanding people pays great dividends. And this is taken from the Daily Reader, of course. And uh, the ability to understand people in one of, is one of the greatest assets anyone can ever have. It has the potential to posit positively impact every area of your life. Not just the business arena, for example. Look at how understanding people helped this mother of a preschooler. She said, leaving my four-year-old son in the house, I ran out to throw something in the trash. When I tried to open the door to get back inside, it was locked. I knew that insisting that my son open the door would have resulted in an hour-long battle of the wills. So in a sad voice, I said, oh, too bad, you just locked yourself in the house. The door opened at once. Uh, understanding people certainly impacts your ability to communicate with others. David Burns, a medical doctor and professor of psychiatry, psychiatry, psychiatry at the uh, University of Pennsylvania observed the biggest mistake you can make in trying to talk convincingly is to put your highest priority on expressing your ideas and feelings. What most people really want is to be listened to, respected, and understood. The moment people see that they are being understood, they, becoming, they become more motivated to understand your point of view. If you can learn to understand people, how they think, what they feel, what inspires them, how they're likely to act and react in a given situation, then you can motivate and influence them in a positive way. And that's becoming from actually taking from uh, becoming a person of influence. And I'm not sure why I had a problem with psychiatry there. Uh, but it also says make understanding people your top priority today. So understanding does make a difference. And as we start to wrap up tonight, I want you to keep working to understand our students and our families because then we build relationships and partnerships that can help us work together. And that's what it's about is collaborating and working together and think of new ways to do that as we're coming out of all this pandemic and kids are back in school and everybody's working hard again. And as we wrap up tonight, let me finish with a quote, uh, mountaintops inspire leaders but valleys mature them. And that was from Winston Churchill, a wise individual. So as always, keep promoting effective leadership through productive culture changes. And until next time, let's stay positive. You've been listening to Urban Principle. Leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com.